Turn in your Bible, please, to Genesis 50. We will read verses 14 through 21. Genesis 50, verses 14 to 21. This is one of the greatest stories of grace in all of Scripture. Verse 14. Joseph reassures his brothers, after burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please... Forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and he wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Keynote verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Thank you, Dean. That is a very important verse, isn't it? And a story that's a remarkable story in Scripture. Um, This is going to be heart to heart today. So, hope you visitors won't mind. We're going to have a talk with our congregation today. The story of Satan is a story of alienation, estrangement, hostility, division, hatred, judgment, and isolation. Everywhere he goes, that follows. Everywhere he goes, he does that work. And that's what Satan is all about. The story of God is a story of forgiveness, closeness, unity, Love, giving, and sacrifice. Everywhere God goes, that's what he does. Everywhere he goes, people feel what he is all about. These two things are incompatible. The Apostle Paul tells us a text that we are very familiar with. What fellowship hath light with darkness? The light is... The closeness, the forgiveness, the unity, the love, the giving, the sacrifice. The darkness is alienation, estrangement, hostility, division, hatred, judgment, and isolation. Paul says the two have nothing in common. They can't even survive together. The Apostle John adds his words to the Apostle Paul 
in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. You can turn and look at that if you like. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. A very familiar passage that all of us, I think, have read and looked at. <clears throat> it begins by saying, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is forgiveness. He is closeness. He is unity. He is love. He is giving. He is sacrifice. And in him there is no alienation, no estrangement, no hostility, no division, hatred, judgment, and isolation. If we say we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie. It's impossible. And do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. God has come to teach us ways of living. No different than his own way of living. His own way of meeting the world, of being in the world. And it has, I want to stress this, the way God is in the world is never affected by the way Satan is. In that sense, God never changes. God never goes to the dark side. He never goes to the hostility, the alienation, the uh, uh, isolation, the judgment, and the hatred. God never goes there. And so no matter what was thrown at Jesus, no matter what was thrown at God throughout all of the Bible, his response is always the same. His response is forgiveness, closeness, unity, love, giving, and sacrifice. And that's the reason why we love him. Because he is a God of love. And that means everything to us. And yet in the twinkling of an eye, what God cannot do, we do so easily. Without warning, instantly, children of God can very quickly become children of Satan. Loathing the ones that just a moment before they loved. Something that is impossible for God to do, we do. The very ones that Jesus loves so much that he died for, we can so quickly hate and isolate from and hold bitterness towards. How fickle we are and so different than God. I've had the unique privilege of pastoring this church twice. I don't think that happens too many times in a pastor's life. 33 years passed between the two times that I've been here. The benefits are great. Uh, how easily it was for me to come back and step right in. And even though you folks have got older, I don't know how come you got so old during those years. But um, <clears throat> just we begin again after we left off. And as it was left off so many years ago. I loved coming into this sanctuary after being gone so long because it had so many memories for me, and they were good memories. Memories of a church that was young, and it was vibrant, and had children like this all the time. 
Aren't we so grateful those children came today? Amen. Thank you to all of you who made that happen. It was a gift to us all. We had great times back then. I have many good memories. After church, oftentimes it would be a potluck in someone's home. And then we would get together and we would walk up and down the beach. And because we had kids. And the kids loved to be outside and they liked to be doing things together. And so it was a church that was together. And it was a good time to be here. Now, after more than half of my life is gone, I return to these roots and I find that the same enemy that stalked the church in the past is still stalking it today. Members who have pledged to love one another fall so quickly into hurting one another and they do so aggressively and without shame. I speak of it today with you as I have in the past, boldly on the Sabbath morning church service, because there is nothing that hurts Jesus more than this. And it's something that has to change. I cannot tell you the pain that I felt hearing the report of what happened not that long ago, just last week. And instantly, my heart cinched up with pain because 30-some years ago when I was here, it was so common at that time. Even though we had a fun, loving church in a lot of ways, there was a cruel, cold, and harsh spirit to the church that dominated it back then and brought severe pain. And that suddenly just wrenched at my heart again. Back then, there was one common denominator that always stalked the church, and it was pain and anger. Angry because of the hurt that church brought to people because they were judged by members in the church regularly. Regularly. At that time, there was a feeling that everybody knew that when you walk through the doors of the church, it's like walking through something that didn't exist back then. Those things that you have at the airport, those screening things. And when you walked in the church, there was somebody screening you, judging you. And it soon drove the children away and drove people away. And the church hurt deeply over those years. People were not able and are not able to feel at home, to feel safe and loved when that happens. And the Spirit of God is choked out. How horrendous that something we can do can drive God's Spirit away. That could be so horrendous that even God has to flee from it. I'm talking to all of us today. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And before we do that, this symbol of unity, we need to do some real heart searching. We've got to change. Back then, God was very gracious. And I've told you about this before. I had already received a call to my new assignment, and I was called back to conduct a baptism with some people that I'd worked with for the years that I was here, only four years. And God visited us that night 
right in this baptistry. The Holy Spirit that had been driven away by the harshness and the spirit of Satan was driven back. And God's Holy Spirit came in and oh, the floodgates that opened up. And it was just supposed to be a few baptized and I can't remember, I lost count of how many, but it was past 10, 11, 12, I don't remember. And the most impressive was the young people. They said, I want to be a part of this. They'd been kept away because of the harshness. And now they wanted to be a part. It was a very exciting, a moment never to be forgotten by those who experienced it. And I'll treasure that moment all of my life. And the church was changed. The power of God came into the church. It was changed for a while. And then judgment, hurt, alienation returned. These things do not go away very easily. The strange thing about that is that if each person involved, uh, they would quickly condemn what happened. At the threshold of an evangelistic series, we ask ourselves, what right do we have to invite people in if they might experience this? How horrible a thing. And you know what? If it exists, they will find it. They will see it. You cannot hide it. And so it's something of a plague that simply won't just go away. Now this spirit takes many forms. Some of it is aggressiveness, attacking, and some of it is passive, simply standing back and letting it happen. No matter what, it cannot be solved by a few, nor can it be fixed by others. It will take all from each one of us to change this in our church. I am willing to believe that this is our work to do. And if we do this, I believe that God's spirit is ready to flood this church just like it did 30-some years ago. And absolutely amaze us. But how can God trust us if we're going to hurt people so badly? Now, yeah, I'm talking about private stuff in a public forum. But this kind of stuff is like stuff that happens in our lives, in our homes all the time. And it needs to be stopped wherever it's at. And we need to be honest about it for it to change. Here is our dilemma. If we simply appeal to the parties that engage aggressively in this to change their ways, it doesn't seem to bring about the change. Even though they say they're sorry and they want to change, it keeps coming back. Have you ever tried to change a bad habit? Does it just simply go away because you want it to? So that doesn't work. Censuring 
And the church does have the right to do that. Censuring, which is using force against force. The same methods makes us maybe just as guilty. God normally does not change hearts that do not want to be changed. Something has to happen inside of us. We need to change the culture of the church. And as your pastor, I have some suggestions that I want to bring to you today. Now, those of you that are visiting with us today, these suggestions might be helpful to you too, where you're at. Because this is a universal problem. The spirit of Satan is definitely working against the spirit of God today. God is about ready to close up this whole thing and take us home. And we need, God is going to allow this to come right to the fore so that we can address it, stop blinking and dodging it, deal with it, and beyond, get beyond it. I think there are three things that I'm going to suggest that need to be done to turn this around. And again, I'm saying this because our service today demands that we deal with this before we go wash each other's feet which represents the unity that must exist with us. Number one, needs to be a spiritual transformation. Every single one of us, whether our problem is aggressively manifesting the spirit of Satan or passively allowing it to happen when we see it. Spiritually, we need to fall on our faces and we need to repent. And we need to take this before the Lord, take ourselves before the Lord. And ask the Lord to change us, to confess our sin, to die to self, and to long with all of our heart, ask the Lord to put within us a desire to change completely in this area. That's spiritual transformation. It's something we cannot do on our own. Yes, we can talk to the Lord, we can confess, we can repent, but we can't die to self unless the Lord enables that to happen, empowers that to happen. But we can want to. I find that when I am so sick of myself, and when I've had enough of myself, I mean thoroughly enough of myself, then is when God changes me. And we've got to see how horrible this is. And then maybe we can be changed. And God will give us a new heart. This is not mild. This is not light. This is the most horrible thing that God can see in his church. It's got to change. It just has to change. So we need to have a spiritual transformation. Our attitudes have to be totally different about this. Number two. Social support. I don't think we're going to get rid of this one person at a time. It has to be something that as a church, as a church, as a church as a whole, all of us disown it. And say we cannot tolerate it anymore. This gets rid of all the passive people that simply allow this wrong to happen as a church to disown it, to not allow it to happen, 
whenever we see even the beginning steps of an alienation or distance or wrong beginning to form between one another, we need to move towards that in love. In the old days, they surrounded the wagons, you know, when the enemy came. And we need to surround, circle the wagons lovingly just to snuff this thing out, not allow it oxygen. That is being proactive. First thing is to have our hearts changed. The second thing is to make sure as a church that whenever anything begins to go awry, that we don't allow that to happen. We come at it with love. We smother it with love. And we teach each other a better way to do things. A more loving way. You know, eventually, oh, I want to say this. God does that all the time with us. And as he does that, he eventually wins and changes us. But think how difficult it's going to be to have alienation in a church family if you have the entire church family surrounding the wagons, even at the slightest suggestion. And they come with each other, for each other. They can sense that there is wrong. And they preemptively keep it from happening. I think we have to do that. That's the social support. This will require a recognition of the seriousness of the problem, meaning that everybody has to be involved in fixing it. That being Christ-like uh, in our spirit is necessary. And having confidence in our ability to change these patterns. We got to know that that can change. That God's spirit, the light, is indeed possible that he wants that to be in his church. And if there are shortages in our ability to bring that about, he'll make up the difference because that's what he wants. So we've got to do that. And then we have to have confidence that God will do it. And then we need skills. And that's the third component. I have learned that even good intentions, as I said earlier, many times do not produce the change that I long for in my life. Oh, I can't tell you how many decades went by while I prayed and prayed and prayed for God to change some things in me. I thought I really wanted that, but God wasn't through teaching me how much I really loved what I wanted to get rid of. And he took me all the way to the bottom, and then he turned me all the way around. But even then, I needed to learn some skills. And there are skills, because when we want to love one another, maybe we don't have any idea how to do that. Or maybe we don't know how to understand what's in another person's heart. Or maybe we don't know how to face differences, and we just get shut down. And these skills can help with. People react the way they do because they know of no other way to act. Destructive habits overpower even good intentions. Even after being convicted of wrong behavior, we do not know how to behave in any other way. And so we need to learn new skills. 
I'm going to be working with the church on this. I am convinced that the survival of the church is at stake. We've got to change this. We're going to invite a whole bunch of people in here. And hopefully the Lord will bring a whole bunch of people. How effectively we deal with this will be one of the critical things. Can he trust us? And we thought of the story of Joseph. Abuse was rampant in his family generation after generation after generation. They didn't fix it. And I love that passage that Dean read to us today. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. So we've brought to this day this pain, this terrible woe that we're ashamed of in our church, but know that at any time it can just break out. God means this for good. That somehow the change that will come about by a faciness and directing attention toward it will change the whole course of this church's history. Just like that experience with Joseph changed the course of patriarchs. Jesus, with a self-centered group of disciples, self-serving spirit that haunted them and trailed them everywhere they went, Jesus was able to take that spirit, the same spirit. And how did he correct that? He himself died, leaving them a profound example that broke their heart. And then the Holy Spirit came in, and then he had 12 copies of himself for the next generation. Now this always is there. But there have been changes in history. The apostles tell us that it existed in the early church too. In all of the epistles we read about it. And repeatedly Paul would confront, condemn, reframe the issue, and then lovingly model the change. So that's what we're talking about. The same thing that Joseph did to change the course of patriotic history. Patriarch, patriarch's history. And then Jesus, the course history for the disciples. And then the apostles in the early church. It was so completely changed that what the church was known for in the world around them was not the sniping the cruelty, and the self-interest, but their love. That's what they became famous for. And the whole world flocked to them because of that. So we're at a real critical spot here. We're all at fault before God's tribunal. Whether we are the instigators aggressively or passively allow it to happen. What if Joseph didn't do anything? What if the disciples didn't do anything? What if the apostles didn't do anything? We must become one, not antagonistic individuals, 
But when we see this behavior expressed, demonstrate love, insisting that God win, not we. Jesus never talked about saving individuals. The strange thing about the Bible, he's always committed to saving a church. Did you hear what I just said? Not saving individuals. He's saving a church. People that have stopped becoming individuals and are now have become a church. Now Satan is all about the individual. God is all about oneness in the group. I invite us to think about this. This really is going to occupy our time. This is what we need to do more than anything else to get ready for the evangelistic campaign. And it's what we need to do if our church is having any kind of impact in our own midst, our extended families. Look how many people we're here today. They would be coming regularly if this change happened. And God would be bringing them. We wouldn't even need handbills. They would come. God's Holy Spirit would draw them. It is amazing. You'd see people of your family and your friends converted. That would be just amaze you. As we saw that night so many years ago right up here. Lord, help us to seek for ways to show you in clear and wonderful ways in the way we deal with one another, the way we are with one another. Help us this week to not let a new week go by without somehow fixing what needs to be fixed in relationships that may be scarred, to taking the risk, a risk that Jesus took at great price to himself. May that same spirit be in our heart. And may your Holy Spirit be in our lives, making all of this happen. In Jesus' name, amen.